And again, good afternoon and welcome to this week's Ageless Wisdom Teleseminar from Maui, Hawaii. My name is Michael Benner. Absolute pleasure to be with you. And uh, this week's topic is the first three chakras. We're going to talk about the evolution of consciousness, the so-called stairway to heaven. And uh, use the chakra system of yoga as a way of describing degrees and levels of awareness. Uh, It's not really a matter simply of the mood that we happen to be in from day to day, though attitude and and mood, uh, where we're coming from emotionally, can play a big role in how we think and how we feel, how we speak, and uh, how we act. But the evolution of consciousness or the evolution of awareness is something that is not really discussed much in the West. We have a sense of evolution in terms of, you know, Darwin's evolution of the species, a physical uh, evolution, which is why the, uh, the chameleon has learned to change its colors as a matter of survival and natural selection or the reason that... Uh, As the landscape changed in the African plains, the giraffe's neck got longer and longer, and those baby giraffes that didn't have long enough necks uh, didn't live long enough to reproduce, and yada, yada, yada. Beyond the idea of physical evolution, or simply becoming more intelligent, educating yourself, is the concept, again, it's very well known in the East and I think is growing in the West that there is a degree of or a level of consciousness a level of awareness in other words just how awake are you and this wonderful system of uh, in in yoga of the uh, chakras that I'd like to talk about a little bit especially the first three there's seven of them and introduce this in a real simple way because, gosh, it just has so much value when it comes to understanding yourself. And that's really where the emphasis needs to be. These programs are all about self-development and understanding the self. Uh, From there, we can learn to empathize with other people, but there's no value, as I'm sure most of you guys know by now, in judging other people as a way of understanding yourself better because you're incomparable, you're not them. And yet if we work the program the other way around, uh, seek to understand ourselves better and get a better sense of who that self really is, that authentic and genuine individual that uh, lurks behind the veil, so to speak, then we can use that to empathize with other people. It's all in the order. So let's talk about the first three chakras. I think um, I got put on to this topic this week by uh, watching the news about the arrests in West Texas of the fundamentalist um, LDS, uh, Mormon cult, uh, where the controversy in the media seems to be polygamy, but it's not polygamy that's the problem. These guys are sleeping, it, it appears, with the children. And I started thinking about uh, the Catholic Church and the widespread level of pedophilia among the priests 
in the Catholic Church and the way in which uh, religion uh, is equated to sexual repression and control and just how repressive religion can be, sexually repressive. And I see all of that in terms of the second chakra. It's odd, I think, that uh, coincidental, if nothing else, that Barack Obama's in trouble now for having said pretty much the same thing that he was saying a few days ago, that in difficult economic times, people cling. That's the, the word everybody's debating. Did he really mean to say cling? And I, I think, yeah, he, <laughs> I think he was spot on. To what they know, they cling to their guns, they cling to their religion, and they vote against their interests all the time. The, it's a cultural thing. The conservatives, the Republicans in most cases, or Southern Dixocrats, uh, appeal to the cultural aspect of NASCAR and guns and, and uh, you know, old-time religion and and uh, that that whole thing to get people to vote against their own economic interests. It's largely cultural, or at least sociological. So I guess I shouldn't have been surprised when I kicked up a little dust with my email invitation as well. And some folks said, what are you picking on religion for? And I'm certainly not picking on religion at all. I'm picking on those who use religion as a cover for controlling other people whether it's raping the children, as in the uh, fundamentalist Mormon church that's in the news, or the widespread pedophilia in the Catholic priesthood that a lot of folks just don't seem to want to talk about. I mean, it's really frightening to consider just how widespread it is. And even in the power brokers of uh, the movers and shakers in Congress that you know, the Larry Craigs of the world. It, it seems like the religious fanatic and, and the people that have this anti-gay agenda uh, on the far right that are always promoting God and country and flag, oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes, are sexually repressed people. Uh, they're gay and denying that they're gay, or they are just have a nice, healthy, strong libido, and they're coming out of a religious tradition that says sex is bad. Earthly pleasure is bad. It goes all the way back to Pythagoras uh, 2,500 years ago, uh, who said the number two is evil because it's not the number one. Now, what is that? It's a dichotomy that says, if we assign the number one, the very first number, to God, then the number two has to correspond to that which is material. So one is spiritual, two is material, one is good, two is bad. God is holy. Living in earth is evil. You're bad. You're a born sinner. You can't dance. You can't wear makeup. You can't... <laughs> can't go to movies. Mormons are not supposed to have coffee or any hot liquid. Uh, it's not the caffeine. They love their diet sodas. Um, so it's not about drugs. something about hot liquids. Uh, most Mormons can't really explain it anyway. Uh, and, and these kinds of rituals and, and, and ceremonies uh, that far too often are about power and control. That's all second chakra stuff. And so 
I thought today that it'd be nice to introduce this whole idea of the chakra system from yoga. Now, the first three chakras are what I want to talk about today, and I'll touch a little bit on the fourth, which is the heart chakra. You probably know that there are seven chakras altogether, even if you've never studied yoga. Uh, there's enough information out there that you've probably heard something about chakras as nerve centers that lie on the spine. And as you study this system, it's so old, if you choose to study it, because it's so old, you'll find a lot of information about the chakras, varied information, a variety of systems about how to use them and what they represent. But in the simplest sense, especially with regard to the lower centers, starting at the base of the spine, the chakras correlate with very real physical uh, centers of, uh, of nerves, bundles of nerves, or trunks of nerves break out from the spine at certain places. Uh, these nerve centers or plexes, a plexus or, or a plexus, uh, is like a trunk or a bundle of nerves. And there's one at the root of the spine. There's a very pronounced uh, uh, plexus of nerves in the sacral center, which is just below and behind the navel. The third chakra is the solar plexus, which is a little higher. This is in the, the stomach, so to speak. Again, they correspond with uh, the spine. Then the fourth chakra would be the heart. And then five is the throat, six is the ajna, or the third eye before the brows, and seven is the crown chakra at the top of the head. One of the wonderful things about the number three and the number seven in mysticism and metaphysics, the reason that three and seven is important, is each has a middle. The trinity, the number three, is very basic because you have the polarities, the yin and the yang, the, the positive and negative polarities, so to speak, the, the, uh, the peak and the trough, if you will, of all vibration. That's the first and the third element of the trinity, and then the middle which makes the number three, the trinity, the divine trinity, uh, is just that, everything between the poles. It's not just the 50-yard line. If you think of it as a bar magnet, uh, the third element would be the magnetic field that unifies what would seem to be opposite polarities in the bar magnet. Well, seven does the same thing, except you have three above and three below, and then a middle. Oh, I have to mute out the calls. I'm sorry. Hold on mm -hmm. one second. Okay. Uh, so seven is the same thing with three above and three below, and then you have one in the middle. And so that's why threes and sevens come up so often in mysticism, because of the importance of the center. Well, so you have seven chakras, and the center of the seven chakras is the heart. So a, a beginning approach to the chakra system has to really be to look at the three above, the three below, as separated by the heart, or maybe better said, as unified <laughs> by the heart center. Okay. Now we won't talk today about the uh, five, six, and seven, 
about the throat, the agina, and the crown. Uh, these are very veiled centers. They are higher centers. Uh, they have more to do with manifestation, which you may know is the law of attraction or the so-called secret in metaphysics. Um, it, it's a very good idea to begin our study of the chakra system with the lower three. And so that's what we're going to focus on today. The idea of church relating to power and control and sexual repression is very second chakra. So let's talk about one, two, and three and and see if we can create here uh, a better understanding of all of this. Again, the first chakra is the root or the tail, so to speak, at the base of the spine. And this in the model, the very simple model that I'm going to use today is, of course, the most fundamental. This is the beginning step on the return home, jiggity-jig. The understanding, of course, is that we are spiritual beings that exist before incarnation. We incarnate into physical form. We're born, so to speak, in a body. And then, throughout our life, or multiple lifetimes, if you wish, we work our way back home toward the source, having been, at least by appearances, separated from that source, though not really. There's always access to our better nature and our higher self. But there's also a longing, a so-called divine homesickness, where, like the flower that turns to the sun and, and opens itself to the sun and even tracks the sunlight across the sky, uh, it longs for, for that source of life, the, the light of the sun. In the same way, each of us has a longing to know our spiritual source, to return home again. And that is done via the chakras, the so-called stairway to heaven. Uh, it's uh, the tree of life. It's the caduceus. It's the mystic's path. It's the middle way. Number one is just basically survival. The very first chakra at the tail of the spine, at the root, so-called, is about survival. It's, <laughs> it's doing what you got to do to stay alive. And, of course, when human beings first touched down on this planet by whatever system you believe that to have happened, survival is pretty much all that we were about, just find enough food and and enough water uh, to stay alive and protect ourselves and, and uh, our, our families and, and small groups as we began to move towards civilization from uh, thieves and bandits and those who would take our stuff, and including our uh, children and our women and so on and so forth. So nothing is more fundamental or rudimentary than the rudimentary than that very first chakra. It's just survival, all right? And sometimes people in danger will drop to that first chakra, uh, maybe in a fit of anger, uh, as a result of fear, uh, hatred. Uh, I, 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 guess, I guess if I think back where I saw it on mass was on 9-11, and the internet and the mail that I was getting and what the media did with that, it was like so much fear and so much anger that a lot of people dropped 
at least for a period of time, into that very first energy center, that first chakra. Now, the second chakra is where many more people live. The second chakra is associated with dominance. If the first is survival, the second is dominance. It's power over. Uh, it's patriarchy. It's the ability to control other people, uh, to repress them, to, to manipulate them. And associated with that second chakra is sex and money. Sex, money, and power. Think of it that way. That's what dominance is about. And people who are stuck in the second chakra or who live to a large extent out of this second energy center, that's, that's as far as the Kundalini has come. You know, it's been lifted. This, this energy awareness, prana, Kundalini, Odic force, Holy Spirit, uh, Elan Vital, whatever you want to call it, it's the life force, the Kundalini. You may know the image of the two snakes, the Ida and Pingala, spiraling up the caduceus. That's the spine. And so the second chakra is not consciously opened. Nobody works to get from the first to the second chakra. Uh, as soon as your survival issues are handled, most people automatically find themselves looking for a sense of power, but not personal power. We tend to look for, as modeled by other powerful people and uh, repeated in the media, for power over other people. So this is force. This is violence. War is second chakra. Uh, and again, I say sex. I don't mean... Uh, an erotic approach to consenting adults mutually enjoying uh, the, the, the lovemaking that goes on between them. I'm talking about um, dominance and submission. I'm talking about pornography. I'm talking about rape. I'm talking about sexism and misogyny. Uh, uh, again, the the news this week that came out of West Texas about what was portrayed as polygamy but again the problem with these fundamentalist Mormons is not the polygamy it seems to me but the pedophilia and again that's a reflection that behavior indicates that people are still in that second chakra therapists will tell you, counselors and, and, uh, and others who do uh, some form of guidance or counseling will tell you that the vast majority of problems they see, especially in marriage counseling, has to do with either sex or money or both. Think of the big issues in your life, in your marriage. Sex, money, power. I mean, who controls a remote control? <laughs> who determines? Uh, you can learn a lot about a relationship by who holds the television remote and Who's the one that gets to decide, and, and do you really have a system for that? It's interesting how many couples or families really don't have a system and, and on a daily basis fight for power and control, even over something as silly as what television program are we going to watch. So I'm afraid that's where a lot of people in the society, especially those who just aren't, again, as highly evolved as we need 
need them to be in this day and age. That's where they're stuck. All right. First chakra, simple survival. Everybody gets out of there as soon as they've got their basic needs, food, water, shelter, taken care of. Second chakra is the sex, the money, the power, dominance. But again, this is this is material power or physical power. It's not the only kind of power, but it's power over power, force, violence, war, authority, prestige, status, leverage. Because I say so, that's why that kind of power. All right. Now the third chakra. Ah, here's a evolution. This is where we begin to get conscious. This is where we start thinking, I could lift myself, sort of bootstrap myself consciously and deliberately from these lower spiritual centers that are basic, basically animalistic to the solar plexus, just below the heart. And this is where the emotional nature comes in. So if we're going to use really simple terms for these energy centers, these chakras, the first would have to be something like survival. The second would have to be dominance, power over patriarchy, not creative power, not the power of love. Okay, okay second chakra power is dominance. And then the third chakra, the solar plexus, is caring. I want to call it love, <coughs> excuse me, and I can call it love, the third chakra, the solar plexus, as long as we understand that emotional love is not spiritual love. The emotional love of the solar plexus, of the third chakra, is still based on the idea that the self exists as separate from the object or the person that I love. Okay? Like I love this beautiful day. I am not the day. I am just this guy. But what a beautiful day. I love this day. Or uh, I go to a, uh, a baseball game uh, under the lights. Uh, it's a very civilized game. I've always loved baseball. I love baseball. What a great game. But I am not baseball. I am just, I am other than, or I love this, I love my wife, or I love my kids, or I love my golden retriever, or whatever. Emotional love is still separative, in that you may feel, and this is all solar plexus, this is caring, I'm going to call this caring, because love is such a huge word, and so misused, and, 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 and so dynamic. Uh, and again, I'll talk about the spiritual love of the heart center, the fourth chakra, we'll touch on that in just a minute, and I'll show you where we can go with this. Our focus today, however, is the first three. So the, 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 the root is survival, the sacral center behind the navel is a physical power, force, violence, dominance, sex, and money. The third is the solar plexus, and this is emotional love. I love you. I am not you, you are not me, we're still separate, but that's what emotional love is, I love you, okay, or I love this golden retriever, or I love baseball, or whatever, okay, you start getting to I love money, and I love power, and you're coming back, <laughs> you're dropping back down to that second chakra, okay, now, <clears throat> 
of the funny things about emotions felt in the belly, and that is, for those of you who tend to live in your heads and be very cerebral and very mental, this is where I lived most of my life, totally above my shoulders. I was in my mid-30s before I knew I could even feel a feeling in my body. And I won't get off into a whole trip here about why that is so. It has to do with my experience as a child and a lot of uh, physical and, and verbal emotional abuse that I went through, uh, especially the physical uh, abuse. It's a good reason not to feel if you're filled with hurt, whether it's emotional hurt or physical hurt. Somebody's hitting on you, uh, you sort of turn off and often tend to live above the shoulders. But the idea of feeling a feeling in your body, well, where do you feel that feeling? Well, largely in the belly, the gut feeling, so-called. Notice how the negative feeling, anger, fear, hatred, tends to pull you down toward that second center, maybe even toward the first center, tends to pull you down, while the loving feeling of happiness and joy and peace is lifts up toward the heart. And you might even say, I feel it in the heart, which would be the fourth chakra or the fourth center. Remember, there's seven all together. So the three below are one set of chakras. The three above the heart, the throat, the ajna before the brows, and the crown are another set, completely separate. And then the heart is the middle. That's very, very important. So we can call these the best loving feelings of the emotional nature in the third chakra or the solar plexus. These are This is aspirational love. It's lowercase l love. All right. It is the separated self loving what appears to be another separated object, a person, an animal, a circumstance, an opportunity, a game, <laughs> whatever. Okay. In order to open the heart chakra, and I'll just touch on this. In order to really, this esoterically in the Rosicrucian tradition is called the third initiation. And it is said to be the most difficult and the longest of all the initiations as the spiritual soul in form begins to discover its true nature and climb that stairway to heaven that mystic's path, that middle way, so to speak, up the caduceus, moving up the spine. In order to open the heart chakra, you have to give up the sense of self as separated and begin to see, if not the unity, at least the harmony in all things. The heart chakra opens when you care as much about everyone concerned as the self, and you realize that yourself is inclusive, and somehow touches everyone concerned. It's um, it's the point where Christ says, for example, um, not not uh, my will, but uh, thy will be done. Or I go to be about the Father's business. This is the opening of the heart chakra. This is the the point where a seeker or an aspirant. Uh, 
on the path becomes a disciple. It's a very important initiation. Again, uh, I come from traditions of philosophy where it's a self-initiated growth. You're not initiated by somebody. There wouldn't be much initiative in being initiated by somebody else. So it's a little redundant to say self-initiation, but I think you understand what we're talking about. The self-initiated growth to change your sense of self from the small F self to a capital F self that feels connected uh, and, and has a stake in the welfare of all concerned, all of humanity, and indeed the one life. And so not only does self with a small s become the soul, so to speak, or the higher self with a capital S as we move into that fourth chakra, but the nature of love, small l love, becomes capital L love, okay, uh, in this harmonious and even unitive way, a sense of love being that which Gosh, there's so many definitions. Love is the longing of the part to be whole. It's the magnetic attraction that every piece of the universe has for every other piece of the universe. Um, and so love is really the glue or the magnetic attractive force that holds everything together. Metaphysically, this is really where it all begins. But it's a very high bar to, to, to not care about other people. And this is language we often hear, whether it's current events that's being discussed or whatever. You'll hear people say, well, I don't care. Well, it doesn't matter to me. Well, I don't give a hoot. That's the problem. That's a, in, in, in mysticism and metaphysics, it's evil not to care. You might say, my goodness, that's a very high bar, isn't it? I mean, you mean to tell me that if I have no desire to hurt other people, I'm not interested in uh, uh, you know, raping their wives or stealing their children or, 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 or taking stuff that doesn't belong to me, their property, uh, and I don't want to hurt anybody, that, that just caring only about the people around me and not caring about the world, that's evil. I know it's a high bar, but that's technically true, yeah. And so it's not enough to not care. We have to care. It starts in the solar plexus, caring and loving as an emotion that a apparently separated individual feels. You don't begin to move into this third initiation, the opening of the fourth chakra, the heart, until you care as much about other people as the self and any line of demarcation, any division that might seem to exist between you and them disappears. Okay. So hopefully that'll generate some questions. And uh, I'm going to go to the questions now. Let me do a time check here. See where we're at. It's just a little past the halfway mark. And let me say hi to some people that are on the line. Um, Charlotte in Montreal is with us again this morning or this afternoon. In Montreal, it's late afternoon. Hello, Charlotte. John in Pittsburgh. In La 
Cabra and Carol. Uh, we have Lisa in Burbank. And uh, somebody named Anonymous in Redondo Beach. Hello, Anonymous. <laughs> and that's fine, too. Uh, so let's take a look. Again, if you're listing on the telephone, there's not much you can do here. But if you're listing on the web, you can type a, a question in at the bottom of the page. Depending on the way your browser is laid out, you may have to scroll down a little bit. Some people see it <clears throat> right on that uh, first page when they first boot up, and some people have to scroll down a little bit. But you'll see a place where you can enter your first name in your city and type in a, a brief question or a comment there. And let's start with, uh, again, I like to take these in the order in which they're submitted. So let's go to Montreal and Charlotte. Um, and Charlotte talks about, I'm not going to read her whole thing, but uh, I, I was reading it before we began here this, this morning. I keep saying this morning because <laughs> we're so far behind you guys out here in the ocean this afternoon. Uh, before we began, and uh, so I know what she's saying here, and I, I gave it some thought while I was waiting for the event to begin. She, like me, was raised Catholic, and uh, at some point excommunicated herself, and just, she talks about, uh, I ran away screaming, <laughs> and uh, she's talking about how the church taught her that she was such a bad person. Oh, here it is. Uh, until I ran away screaming, excommunicating myself from that church. But what I'm driving at, she goes on, is those of us who have self-excommunicated ourselves for whatever reason from organized religion, um, did we throw the baby out with the bathwater? Uh, have we lost important rituals and ceremonies and passages? And I think, yeah. Charlotte makes an excellent point. Uh, those are important rituals and ceremonies are very important. The coming of age, for example. Um, the the idea of uh, baptism and, and, and confirmation and marriage as a, as a spiritual institution and even last rites upon death. These are very important passages and I'm not sure what to say about this, because if the only way to expose yourself to ritual and ceremony, to these important uh, uh, passages in life is through the church, then maybe we need to throw out the baby with the bathwater. I think what we have to do, and I think Charlotte's really suggesting this in the way she asks the question, is find a way, either with ourselves or with um, uh, a close network of friends to recreate these ceremonies. Uh, you do this on your birthday party, for example. Birthdays are not generally thought of as a spiritual passage, although they certainly could be and perhaps <laughs> should be. So what we do is we call our friends in most cases, and we get together on a birthday and we celebrate another year has gone by since you were born. We celebrate your birth. We celebrate that you exist as a spiritual being, that you come in the form, that you're here with us today, another day of living, another day of loving. We, we can celebrate that passage, the birthday, 
without having to go to church, temple, synagogue, and expose ourselves to their control and their abuse. Again, I hate to have to do this, but I'm willing to to interrupt myself and and add quickly that this is a generalization. Whenever we talk about a great institution like religion and its shortcomings, its abuses, its corruption, uh, it's it's just in the nature of the way people think to to go overboard with that and and in many cases believe that I'm talking about everybody who's religious and talking about all religions and all churches and please don't do that it's not me using the broad brush Uh, so I hasten to add uh, I'm not talking about everybody but if the shoe fits wear it uh, we just can't afford to ignore anymore the role of religion in child abuse in sexual and otherwise um, most of my abuse as a child came from the church. I was abused at home, physically, verbally, emotionally. But to be abused by God, to be abused by God's representatives, to be told every week, week after week after and in the Catholic Church, they only recently took Jesus off the cross. I think in some Catholic churches, uh, the crucifix, Jesus is still up there with this tortured look of agony on his face. Uh, you know, Christian churches, Protestant churches use crosses, but the Catholic Church, Jesus is still nailed to that thing. And you're told over and over again that that suffering and that agony is your fault. That you are a born sinner. And, uh, <laughs> it feels I remember as a little kid it felt so unfair and they said no you know Eve ate the apple she did what the talking snake told her to do the talking snake said eat the apple even though God said there would be consequences and then she seduces Adam and we're just all bad as a result of that it, it's a rape the, to tell a child over and over that you're bad that you're evil, that you're a sinner. It could, <laughs> we could get the same message across in a much more beautiful way. We could talk about your potential, your your better angels, your higher nature, that you have spiritual qualities within you, that you have a conscience. I was going to say, for God's sake, that sort of works. You, we do have a conscience for the sake of the one life. Uh, we don't need to be constrained by fears of prison or eternal damnation in a lake of hellfire. We could be taught to come in touch with our hearts and and, and that, that divine homesickness, that longing to be the person that each of us senses that we really are or somehow could be. So, you know, I, I don't want to use too broad of a brush, and I certainly don't want to overgeneralize, but I think we do need to face the abuse, the child abuse in church, not just the Catholics and the Mormons, but many others. The, the tendency of the church to promote and support war and hatred and fear needs to be discussed. And it's not just Christian. 
We see it, obviously, in the Jewish community, in the Muslim community. Uh, even the Hindus that are largely mystic can get violent sometimes. And um, so this, uh, this whole idea of, of church and God and country, uh, Barack Obama's comments, it's, it's just a huge field. But I think Charlotte makes a very good point. And uh, if we have thrown the baby out, with the bathwater, so to speak, if by leaving church because of its abuses we've lost these beautiful rituals, then we need to reclaim the ritual. And just like we have birthday parties with our friends, maybe we can spiritually, on our own, in smaller groups, um, celebrate these passages, have our own baptism ceremonies, so to speak. What does it mean to be baptized anyway? Uh, to be baptized first in water and then to be baptized a second time, to be born again. What does that mean? You know, why leave it to a group of evangelicals and so-called born-agains to determine the meaning of the word? We don't leave it to Wall Street to define love, do we? They sell cars with love. They sell cigarettes with the word love. Uh, <laughs> Why should church be able to corner the market, uh, so to speak, on these important passages? Thank you, Charlotte, in Montreal. Beautiful. Uh, let's see. John is just saying hi. Carol is saying hi. Um, let's see. Lisa in Burbank has an interesting question about something called the reticular activating system or reticular activating formation. It's a little off topic, but um, it's an important question, so I'm going to address it uh, briefly anyway. The reticular activating system or reticular activating formation, well, first of all, I think we need to define reticular, a big fancy word most of us don't know. Um, if something is reticulated or reticular, if it's wound up like a coil of rope, you know, you go to a rodeo and the cowboys have the rope, uh, and it's wound or, you know, cables, sometimes you wind them into loops, that's reticular. Oh, the way a snake coils itself, that's reticular. Well, in hypnotism and meditation, there's an understanding that in the mind, not in the brain, but in the model of mind that says there is a conscious mind and then there is the bulk of the mind that is not conscious. Again, brain aside, physical model aside, the conscious mind is like the tip of the iceberg and basically is free will, reasoning, logic, Will power, excuse me, will power, so-called free will. That's the conscious mind. But when the conscious mind goes unconscious, as in falling asleep every night, you don't die, because there is an unconscious mind working through the brain, okay, that breathes you, that beats your heart, that digests food, repairs and replaces cells. So we've known for 150 years or more 
that there's at least two aspects to mind, an objective and subjective, it used to be called in the 19th century, a willpower and an imagination, a conscious and subconscious, a part, the conscious or willpower that <coughs> wakes up in the morning and goes to sleep at night, and then the subconscious, the imagination, the subjective part, that is always operating, but at a unconscious level or subconscious level. The reticular activating system is the connection. And it's like a tunnel that opens and closes. And when we're stressed, the more stimulus we get through our physical senses, the more we see or hear or taste or smell, or the more thoughts that uh, are in our heads demanding our attention. Listen to this thought. What about that thought? What about this? What about that? The more stimulus we have, whether it's external or internal, the tighter is this reticular activating system and the greater the resistance to communication between the conscious and subconscious. When we relax, however, as in meditation or self-hypnosis or hypnosis provided by a guide, um, any or psychology exercise, yoga, martial arts, uh, slow deep breathing, progressive muscular relaxation, biofeedback. Anytime we take a breath and relax and either reduce deliberately or learn to ignore the stimulus in our lives, that reticular activating system dilates and communication between the two aspects of mind is enhanced. The receptive stage is called meditation. As you relax in order to meditate, your insight, your understanding and awareness expands and you become uh, more receptive to, again, insight and understanding. Uh, I'm going to leave it right with those words. That's probably the best way to say it. But those same states of relaxation, which cause the reticular activating system to dilate, to open up. Okay. Also works in the other direction so that sets of instructions, uh, so-called suggestions, you might even want to call them commands, but instruction sets, affirmations that are spoken by the conscious self to the unconscious pass through with less resistance, greater efficacy, and are heard and understood and acted upon with far fewer repetitions, and that's the self-hypnosis. So for the conscious to receive from the subconscious, that's meditation, a receptive state. For the conscious to program subconscious, that's the law of attraction, that's the secret, that's self-hypnosis, that's setting goals and realizing them. But as, as, as Lisa's pointing out here, her question about the reticular activating system is really an important one because well, even a few minutes from now we'll do a relaxation exercise, we'll do a meditation with guided imagery here. And the whole point of that is to pause this reticular activating system to dilate so that we become more whole-brained or whole-minded, so to speak, more mindful, more aware and more awake. And that's probably the ultimate irony in this field is that 
to wake up, you have to close your eyes and move <laughs> and move in the direction of sleep. Between the frenzy of the world around you and the way it's reflected in your mind and the unconsciousness of sleep in the middle is the place that you want to be to be the best person that you can be in all things. Now we're about uh, ten minutes away from the top of the hour. Let me do a check here of a couple of things. And uh, Redondo Beach Anonymous says, if the first chakra is for survival, what happens when a person becomes suicidal and the loss of the will to live becomes their default? That's a great question. That's a very good question. I'm, in all honesty, uh, not sure how to answer that. I think the place to begin to understand that is to understand the extraordinary impact of fear in our lives because, in a sense, the rising of the kundalini, the lifting or enhancement of awareness as we move up this stairway, the spine, this caduceus, from the root to the sacral to the solar and hopefully to the heart, at which point you can activate the upper three in some wonderful ways that I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. Uh, all of that is an escape from fear and moving toward love. Uh, that's one way of describing the polarity between heaven and earth, between God and man, between the absolute and the relative, between the, the infinite and the finite, or uh, it, it is to look at this spine as if it's a bar magnet with love at one end and fear at the other. Now, technically, love's in the middle, so I don't want to overwork this. Maybe we could think of a couple of bar magnets end to end. Uh, so the model breaks down at some point, but an escape from fear is an escape from shadow. It's an escape from that which is false. Um, Spiritually, all fear, whatever term we use, anxiety or stress or uh, confusion, worry or doubt or apprehension, the shadow, fear is always a nightmare. It's always a bad dream. It's never true. It's never real. The allegory is darkness. And people tend to think of light and dark as opposites and in terms of language they are, but in terms of physics, they are not opposite. Light is an energy, it's a source, as is love, very real thing. And darkness is the absence of that light. It doesn't really exist. It, it, it is merely the shadow, the absence of something real. And... Uh, you know, if you've been caught in the middle of the night in a blackout, you lose all your light, and uh, it can be pretty scary. You say, well, that darkness is real enough, scared me, right? But again, it really needs to be understood as the absence of something real, the absence of an energy. Light has a source. It is a power. It emanates according to law. Darkness has none of that. It doesn't do any of those things. Well, 
that's what fear is in the same way. The allegory then would be love is real. It's an energy. It's a force. It behaves according to law. It redeems. It refines. It heals. It uplifts. It expands awareness and consciousness. And fear is the absence of love. If love is understanding, fear is ignorance. You see? And I think when somebody begins to get so depressed that they contemplate suicide and ending their life, uh, they're just off track. I don't think they could be found anywhere in the chakra system. They're ignoring that chakra system. They're just so lost that, that they're consumed by the fear. I don't talk about suicide a lot. It's not a very cheery subject. It's uh, certainly not very fun to talk about. I've had experts on my radio program in the past, some really wonderful people, women and men, dedicated to this field in an attempt to understand the nature of fear as depression and the grip that it that it gets on people, the 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 seeming insanity, really, of beginning to contemplate ending your life. And, of course, if you ask me, this is where I need to say, this is just me, this is not carved in granite, um, there's not much support for the right to suicide in the spiritual community. Uh, most people would say, no, it's wrong. It's not your life to take. That life doesn't really belong to you. I think if I were working with somebody that was severely suicidal, and I don't mean have thoughts of suicide. Lots of people have thoughts of suicide and are willing to talk about it. That's that's not a concern. It's the people that think about it, contemplate it, and don't talk about it uh, that uh, present the greatest challenge to the mental health community. But... Um, uh, Metaphysically, spiritually, I think the consensus certainly would be that it doesn't work. You can't end it. You just start over. You, like, go back to go and do not collect your $200 and start over again. And, uh, you know, you're not really ending anything. But further, this idea that I think is really rich that this is not your life. It's a gift that's been given to you and doesn't really belong to you. The arrogant teenagers and others, but you see it often in teenagers say who teenagers who say, Well, it's my life, I'll do with it what I want. Well, that always struck me as odd. It's like who says it's your life? You know. That might seem to be a uh, obvious to you, but the question is, what did you do to get here? What what great sacrifice, what great effort did you, the part you call you, the persona nature, the ego, the separative self, what did that self do to create itself? Nothing. So to to claim ownership in this sense, of my life and I'll do with it whatever I want. You know, I'll take my life and I, I, I think it's the height of arrogance. And only a really desperate person in a lot of pain 
would even begin to consider that kind of justification. But but consider that it's not yours. Your life does not belong to you. It's like on loan. So you buy a house and you say, "Ah, hey, I bought a house. I own a house. I'm a homeowner." No, you're not. You have 30 years of payments. The bank owns it. Skip three payments and see who owns it, right? Or or the car or the big screen TV you bought on time. You don't own that stuff. It's on loan from the bank as long as you pay them. And <laughs> so it is with with life. It's on loan. It's in your protective custody. And it should be cared for and 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 and, and, tr- and treated with reverence and respect for for life is really sacred your life and, and other people's lives. To commit suicide is not that much different than to kill another person. Uh, and I suppose we could trip into uh, the adjacent areas of euthanasia, mercy killing, and all of that. Maybe we will in the future. I don't want to go there now. But uh, I, I think the uh, to answer the question that's been put to us from Redondo Beach by this anonymous viewer, listener, caller, is to say that thoughts of suicide, you, you could not find that anywhere on the scale. It, it would not be on this spectrum, this continuum uh, that is the chakra system. It's such incredible fear. And that's really the only way you can describe it. Uh, well, I guess you could say depression or sadness or hopelessness, but all of those are qualities of fear. Um, depression's a difficult. It's a difficult one to work with. It's a it's a very strong emotion, just like anger and fear. Uh, fear itself, anger and hatred. Uh, depression, like anger and hatred, are incredibly powerful, intoxicating emotions. Maybe that's the best way to think of it, as a state of emotional intoxication, where we're just out of our minds. And let me just say, by the by, if uh, you or anybody you know uh, ever gets so stuck in depression, that uh, they're beginning to talk about suicide, listen, first of all. The best thing you can do is listen. You don't have to fix their problem, okay? You don't have to know what to say. A great thing to say is, I'm not sure what to say, but I'll listen. I'll be here and listen. That's the best thing you can do for somebody, but get them some professional help. There are some women and men in this field, uh, just the whole mental health field, um, whether they're sociologists or licensed psychotherapists or hypnotherapists or whoever they happen to be, spiritual guidance counselors, some wonderful people that are dedicated to helping people that suffer this much pain, this much depression. Just remember it's fear. It's the F word. Call it what it is. It's fear. And the best thing you can do when somebody is frightened is love them. Put your arms around them, give them a hug, hold them, rock them, and listen (laughs) <laughs> Just listen. Can't emphasize that enough. All right, let's see where we are. It's exactly straight up, 2 o'clock in California, 11 o'clock here in Hawaii, and uh, let's see. I got one more, Brian in Lancaster. 
Because life is so difficult to find my unique purpose in life and still make a financial living. Uh, why is it so rare to see people fulfilling their life's purpose? And finally, do you recommend Eckhart Tolle's Awakening to Your Life's Purpose or any other book on the subject? And then he sends another message. The, the book he's talking about is actually called The New Earth. And how odd, I have a sealed copy of the audio book uh, on my desk right here. I just got it from Amazon a few days ago. I've given this book away to friends, both as a regular book and an audio book, but I've never sat down with it myself. I love the power of now. Silent speak. I have as an audio book, but um, this, A New Earth, is three or four years old, subtitled Awakening to Your Life's Purpose. Uh, again, I haven't read it, I haven't listened to the audio book yet, but I just love Eckhart Tolle, and I think it's probably a wonderful book in that regard. To answer your question, if I can, why is it so difficult, and I think, the, without being too flippant here, um, it's simply because there are so many distractions along the way. Uh, beginning with the fact that we we have a payoff, there there is some set of benefits that go with this behaving, <laughs> that go with uh, whatever we're stuck in in life, and the challenge to a counselor or a therapist often is helping the client, the customer, figure out what benefit are they getting from not being the person that they want to be. What We, we do what we do for a reason. It's just that we're usually not conscious of the reason or the motive. All right? Um Let's see, should I get, I might as well get personal here. I often do and share from my own experience. I've always carried extra weight. All right. Uh, those of you who've seen me in public speak, you know that uh, I carry extra weight. I always have. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. And I'm not going to go into, you know, my own psychoanalytical profile other than to say I am getting benefit from being overweight. Now, I hasten to add that I could find ways and work actually on a daily basis to incorporate ways to get those same benefits while being healthier and stronger and dropping that weight. But that's what life's about. It's not easy. It can be very, very difficult. Uh, I was just working uh, here in Maui uh, last week and the week before with a stop smoking client. And one of the things that we always look at with our stop smoking clients is what are the benefits you're getting from smoking those cigarettes? Because you shouldn't have to give up all of those benefits, just give up the cigarettes. One of the first things that people come up with generally is, well, I get to take a break. I can push away from my computer or my desk and say to myself, well, I'm, I need a cigarette, I want a cigarette, I think I'm going to take a break. And use the cigarette as the excuse, as if you need one, 
taking the break from work. So one of the things that we have to do then as we compile this list is make sure that once you drop the habit of smoking, you still get that benefit. You still, once an hour or so, get to take a break because you need it, because you'll come back refreshed and rested and, and more alert and do an even better job, be even more productive. And your performance will improve if you take that little break. Okay, Just because you're giving up cigarettes doesn't mean you should have to give up a break. Uh, there's a lot of other little things about cigarettes. as a security blanket, or as I was saying earlier, food, comfort food, makes this feel heavy, and I have no earth in my chart. There's <laughs> so many different ways I could talk about it. Uh, I feel To feel connected to the earth. I've never felt really connected to the earth, and carrying extra weight is an inelegant and unhealthy way to do it, but it's effective. It works. There are better ways to do it, but that's the challenge to each of us, whether it's weight, whether it's smoking, or what other, whatever other patterns we may find ourselves locked in in life. In this case, Brian is talking about his purpose and, and trying to find his calling and why is it so difficult. Because, though inelegantly, we are getting some benefit from our confusion, from our stuckness. There is some sort of, though petty, some sort of payoff from the confusion. Oh, some of this is obvious. For example, uh, uh, I hate my job. Uh, I never thought I'd end up doing this, but there's the paycheck every Friday. So why are you doing a job that you hate? Well, because <laughs> it, it pays well. Yeah, but you hate it. Yeah, but if I did what I loved, uh, you know, be a, uh, a singer in a rock and roll band or something, uh, I'd starve to death. Well, you know, somebody's going to be a singer in a rock and roll band, and maybe you could do that and keep your day job as well. So I think that's, you know, where we have to begin is, Brian, to take a look at the rewards, the payoffs, as subtle as they may be, as unconscious as they usually are. Otherwise, you would have dealt with it already for being stuck or being in the stage that you're in. Sometimes it's just a matter of needing to go through stage. You know, to be the butterfly, you got to spend some time as a caterpillar crawling around saying, why can't I be a butterfly? Because you got to be a caterpillar for a while, and then you got to spin the cocoon, and then you got to go through all of that. So, uh, yeah, I think everybody has a purpose. It's less in the head than in the heart. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there because I want to do our meditation exercise and let you guys go. But, Brian, that would be the second little bit that I would suggest to you that if your tendency is to think it through, to try to figure it out in your head, um, leave that wonderful intelligence that we've been given uh, for understanding that which is around us and surrounding us and out there in the world. And use your emotional intelligence, use your heart more than your, your mind, your caring nature, your love. Follow your bliss, follow your love. Do what you love to do. What do you care about? If money was not an issue, 
If you had $100 million in the bank and were hiring people to count it for you, and you traveled the world and you bought all the stuff you wanted to buy in your wildest dream, after a few years of incredible wealth, you're laying out by the pool in one of your villas, and you're bored to tears, what would you go do? And why would you go do that? Because you can't, because you're free, because you don't care about money, because you love to do it. What would you do? That's a pretty good hint into what you should be doing anyway. And then just do it well, because you love it. The more you love it, the more excellent you become. As you become more excellent, you love it more. That creates even more excellence. you got a nice upward spiral here of I love it, so I'm good at it, so I love it more, so I'm even better at it, and the world will be the path to your door. People are looking for excellence, whatever the field may be. People are willing to pay for excellence. All you have to do is be really good at what you do, and the secret to that is to love it. And then maybe patience and perseverance, because, again, we're not here to be successful. We're here to learn. We're not here to be comfortable. We're here to learn. And in doing that, we can create some periods, some moments of comfort and the appearance of success. But it's always something, as Emily Latelda used to say, it's always something. As soon as you get your ducks in a row, here comes an earthquake and... Uh, Let's face it, have we ever really met anybody that got it all together? People say they're getting it together. They ever meet anybody that got it together? I've come real close a couple of times, but it's always something. Always something, something that happens. Okay, let's, uh, thank you so much for that. That's wonderful. I appreciate you guys being here. It's interesting to watch the number of people. I, I don't know your names uh, unless you send me a message. I don't know where you are unless you send me a message. But I have a counter here, and it's interesting to watch it grow throughout the event. It's like some people are coming in even now. It's very cool. So we're always going to begin at 1 o'clock California time, Sunday afternoons. And uh, again, I really encourage you guys to tell your friends about this. Forward those emails. Send them to my website, michaelbenner.com or theagelesswisdom.com. The big button on the splash page where you can sign up for the newsletter, then you get the invitation with the link to these events every week. That same link will bring you back for the replay as well. At any time, they're all archived. Remember, theagelesswisdom.blogspot.com. All of the programs are archived there and also at my website, which you can reach either at theagelesswisdom.com or michaelbenner.com, and use the big button to sign up for the newsletter and go inside to the home page, and you see a link, web teleconference. You can listen to all the past teleconferences. If you can stick around for just a few more minutes, let's do a brief visualization exercise. On raising that kundalini, let's go back to our topic of the day today, the first three chakras. Kundalini is a name for life force. It's related to prana, or odic force, Holy Spirit, 
Elan Vital, Chi, Ki, lots of different names for it. But it's the energy or the spirit that illumines and animates you. It is life and it feels warm and fuzzy like love. Close your eyes. Hopefully you're in a place right now where you close your eyes. Take a nice, slow, deep breath or two. Talked about the reticular activating system or formation as you relax. As you feel the letting go in your body, muscles relaxing and unwinding right now. Feel those feelings. The system, this coil, is opening. And you as a conscious being are receiving with less resistance, more insight and understanding. You become automatically, effortlessly, more and more aware as you continue to relax. Not only is the conscious more aware of the fountain of insight and understanding that comes from the subconscious, but in the same way as you relax, the system opens and resistance goes down you can affirm and program with sets of instructions, positive suggestions, your solution, goal, your dreams, and desired outcomes. And so think of that integration of becoming whole in mind, body, and spirit as you create this sense of letting go. Feeling like butter on a warm day. Just allow yourself physically to soften. Drop your guard, lower your defenses, or there's nothing that you need to guard yourself with. The person you're defending doesn't need defense. Let it go. Even if just for six or seven minutes. Feel that safe and that relaxed. Imagine yourself in a paradise. The feeling that you're dreaming it up or just making it up or pretending is exactly right. In your mind's eye, visualize the most beautiful place that you can imagine. A garden, an Eden, a heavenly paradise with beautiful trees, bushes, flowers, grasses, and sun-drenched meadows and cool, shady, forested areas. Imagine a little stream, a small lake or a pond. Allowing my voice to go with you, you can still imagine that you hear birds singing, the wind in the trees, You feel the warmth of the breezes and when you step into the direct sunlight, you even feel the gentle warmth of the sun on your face. As you sit down upon the earth, whether in the sun or the shade, or maybe a deep, cool, forested place by the water, you, you, you choose it. You find a place to sit upon the earth 
And imagine at the base of your spine a cable or a bundle of wires that is plugged into the ground. If not the spine itself, imagine the spine itself like a tree rooted into the earth, branching out, roots branching out into the earth. Feel grounded at the base of your spine, rooted, plugged in, integrated, connected to the common ground, the ground of your being. And at the same time, imagine at the very top of your head a pencil-thin beam of laser light coming down from the sky. You choose the color. It could be red or gold or blue or green or yellow. Or You choose. I'm imagining beautiful violet color, gold all around the edge. But yours might be different. Still, get a sense of a precipitation down of energy, as in a laser beam gently coming in to the crown on the very top of your head, coming into you and filling you, starting at the root, filling you. And imagine the center of your being rising from mere survival at the root into the sacral. Some systems, the chakra, can be visualized as a lotus blossom that opens. And as it opens, you become aware of the second chakra, the first being simple survival, the second being dominance and power. Sometimes you have to stand up for yourself, don't you? Sex and money your ability to influence and persuade. And where is it? Is it closer to survival? Or is it aspiring to the third chakra? And imagine another lotus blossom opening in the belly above the navel corresponding to points on the spine where there are, are actual nerve plexes, trunks of nerves that branch out. And so imagine effortlessly, this is not something you try to do, but something you allow to happen by simply putting your attention on it and opening to the possibility that effortlessly simply by caring and bringing yourself to the third chakra. Imagine a, that, that third lotus blossom opening, blossoming, blooming as the consciousness, the spiritual energy that is the kundalini rises into the tummy. And you begin to care about other people. It matters to you. If your cat or your dog is hungry, you feed it. You care. If you see an animal that you don't even know down the street that is distressed, you would care for it. Or a child or, or an adult 
How much do you care? Certainly you care about your family. How about your friends and neighbors? How about the people further down the block, farther down the block? You still care about them? They live in the same city as you. What about the people that live 100 miles away in the same state, 500 miles away in the same state? Do you care about them? You don't even know them. You don't know their names or their faces. Could you care about all Americans? Could you care about all citizens of the world? Could you care about all the animals of the world? Are you allowing yourself, permitting yourself to care about the plant kingdom, the mineral kingdom, as an integrated life support system? As you become more careful, more loving, more peaceful, aspiring to the heart. And then ask yourself, as if there's a little bridge, like a drawbridge over a river, between the third chakra and the fourth, am I willing, pause here, pause, am I willing to cross over to that fourth chakra? Am I willing to open the heart, to begin the process of opening the heart, if that means that my caring, loving nature rooted the third chapter can expand to the point where a sense of self is lost in the greater good. Where your caring, loving nature is no longer limited by a sense of self. By a sense of me as opposed to them by this as opposed to that. Cross that bridge carefully and only when you're ready to commit yourself to that kind of discipleship. Removing into the heart is to love all things, life itself, as much as you've ever loved anything without reason, without interference with the mental nature. To see, if not the unity, at least the harmony and the oneness of all things. Because you care. The sense of separation dissolves. If you're willing to do that, come into the heart chakra knowing that this is the beginning of a lifelong initiation into discipleship. There's nothing to join here, not a member of any club or group or organization. There are no blood oaths and no excommunication. This is self-initiated growth. Are you willing to love that much? Are you willing to care that much? Move beyond the first three into the heart. And in any event, I want you to bring these feelings with you. As you orient yourself, 
imagine yourself, if you will, floating toward the sound of my voice, remembering where you are, feeling yourself again in your body. Make sure your toes are in the toe places and your fingers are like pulling on the bodysuit. Get all tucked into your body. Feel the chair or the floor or the sofa, whatever you're sitting on. Feel yourself sitting upon it. Take a nice, slow, deep breath. As you exhale slowly, ah, bringing with you effortlessly this love, peace. Open your eyes, wide awake, alert, rested, refreshed, feeling really fine. Wide awake and alert and back to the room. Hey, thanks so much. Thank you very, very much. And, uh, again, I've already told you, I've asked you, I'm imploring you to support us by telling your friends. Support them, too. Get them out here, right? And tell them about this thing. Forward those emailed invitations if you'd like, or just tell them to go to the website, michaelbenner.com or theagelesswisdom.com and sign up for the free newsletter then you get the invitations to these events also just very quickly there's an action button at the bottom right of the page click on wage inner peace now to subscribe to the podcast I do with Steve it's less than $4 a month it's like a cup of coffee a latte at Starbucks three ninety six a month 99 cents a week wage inner peace and listen in every week on this program that Steve and I do called Finding Yourself in Paradise. I think you really dig it. They're, they're, you know, most human potential tapes, one person talking to you, one person talking at you. Uh, this is a conversation you get to listen into. And everyone, like this program, includes a meditation, a guided imagery exercise at the end. So just click that button that says Wage Inner Peace Now. And you can get on board with that, too. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. And uh, thanks for sending your messages and telling your friends. And as always, be gentle of life and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner from Maui, Hawaii. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.